Uh, Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary uh, this past two months ago. And I am in the same boat that you're in. And that is this. You're looking for a pastor because your pastor is resigned. My pastor is resigned. And we're looking for a pastor just like you. And so that way we have a lot in common we do. Um, and that means that I think you will be a praying church now about this matter. I think you'll be in prayer. I hope that you're in prayer on this matter. I know at Evangel, we have a special prayer group that meets at 5 o'clock um, today, every Sunday, just on this matter, an hour before the service. And uh, uh, I, I trust that the Lord will do well by you and provide someone for you. Now, Bob, if you don't mind, I'm going to get this thing started here. What do you think? Sounds like we're on. Um, the matter of prayer is surprisingly a huge subject. On, I, I went to Amazon.com where, you know, you get all your resource material. Your best stuff is on Amazon. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. But while I was there, I looked up stuff on prayer. And the prayer that I had, eh, here it is. I found all sorts of books on prayer. In fact, there was many prayers. Listen to this. Uh, Experiencing awe and intimacy with God. That's by Timothy Keller. Uh, how to see power through your prayers, or the power of prophetic prayer, or kingdom authority, semicolon, taking dominion over the powers of darkness, or pocket prayers, 40 simple prayers that bring peace and rest, or does prayer change things by R.C. Sproul. The seven most powerful prayers that will change your life forever. Now, would you not want a book like that? Seven most powerful prayers. Or how about this? Praying hands. How to pray the right way. Who, who's going to say no to that? In fact, there are almost 150,000, just in fact, if they put two, two more, there's almost 150,000 entries available on Amazon.com. Just to put that in perspective, that means if you read every one of one of those books every day, it would be 400 years before you would be able to read them all. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, there's so much material out there. But what if, what if you, what if God could write a prayer for you and put it so that you could get it? Would you be interested in that kind of a prayer? I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians. All right? The book of Ephesians. And you're going to go to chapter 3. Now, Ephesians is one of those books that's written from the prison. Paul has got a prison ministry, yes? There are four books that he's written in the prisons. Yes, there are four epistles. 
And just, I'm going to give you a mnemonic device to help you remember what the prison epistles are with this condition. Do not tell anybody at Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary that you got this from me. All right? It's going to look like this. Uh, I'm hoping, Bill, you're in the back row there. I'm going to hope that you can see this. All right? But this is your mnemonic. This is your mnemonic. Because when you're in prison, you are kept in prison. Yes? Look at this. Now, that's a terrible... Now, listen. Don't take this. Now, you know better. This is not how you spell kept, but this is how you'd pronounce it. Kept. Right? Colossians, Ephesians, and the other two Ps. If you say 1 Peter and 2 Peter, you just flunked. So, this is a prison epistle we're looking at right now this morning. Yes? In Ephesians chapter 3, and Paul, that, that we have a unit here, is easily defined by the Verse 14, it says, for this reason. And then verse 20 says, now. So between those two, that's a unit. We, we need to define that unit. So we're going to try to take out of that unit and squeeze out all of the wonderful juices that are in that unit. And he says, for this reason, we have to go, what reason? What, what reason is he talking about? And he's talking about, the, he cites it in the reason ahead. For this reason, he's referring to something that he's already written, not something that's later. It might be better to say, for that reason. And the reason is that the church, this unity of Gentiles and Jews, of Republicans and Democrats, of management, of labor, of slaves, of bosses, this union is something that is never been predicted, cited, hinted at, or even suggested in the Old Testament. Now, by my saying that, I'm going to tell you that you can clearly see that I'm dispensationally trained. I would hope that your future, you know, selection, who your future pastor is, would be dispensationally trained. But that's up to you. Further than that, Ambassador Baptist Church stands here on Rochester, Rochester Road, yes, as a witness to the fact that death isn't always going to win. Death is something that you all are marching and headed to, no matter how young you are, you're headed to death. You're headed to a piece of dirt. I've already got my dirt. I know where it's going to be. Now, I'm saying that because of Christ, guess what? You defeated death. You whooped it. He whooped it, and you get to ride in on that. The curse, the curse is everywhere, right? There is nobody out there, whether you're saved or you're unsaved, that's going to get an easy break. You're still going to have to weed the garden. You're still going to have to correct your mistakes. You're still going to have to go back and say, I'm sorry, or I apologize. You're still going to have to get the stains off of your shirt from spaghetti. You're still going to have those things that happen. The earth is not going to suddenly spring up for you because you're saved. This wonderful path of the yellow brick road, the golden... No, no, that's going to happen much later. For right now... 
You, you, you're stuck with the rest of humanity, saved or unsaved. Things are going to break. The button is not going to work. The thing is going to make a noise. So therefore, but for you, as members of the body of Christ, that will not be forever. The day is coming when the curse will be shed from you. For the other folks, I'm sorry. It will not be that way. So you stand, but then, but then look what Paul says. Hang on, I'm in Ephesians. What am I doing? All right, hang on, I'm, I'm in the wrong uh, chapter. I'm going to go back here. It's from 6 to for this. Therefore, now look at verse 10. Look down and, and, and go back to 3.10. So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You're not just a witness to the local neighborhoods here of the wonderful of, uh, uh, grace of God. For reasons I don't understand, the rulers and the authorities in the heavenlies are somehow being, having their nose rubbed in you somehow and in some way. You're, you're participating on a celestial level on this whole thing. So I'm just telling you, that's why Paul is excited. That's why he says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father. Okay, now, I need to do a quick, uh, some, some of you might have the King James. It's the Bible I grew up on. It's the Bible I read and memorized as a kid. It's a lovely version, but I got to tell you, there's a, there's a, what they call a textural, um, a, DV, a, a variance, a variance in it. And that is, the King James is going to read, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father, and then it's going to add these words, of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? That's from a Byzantine text. Remember, the King James is all from the Byzantine text. And that's a much later text type. That's the Greek, uh, those, that Greek documents were in the 9th and 10th century. So they're not the oldest, they're not the earliest, and they have some points that we need to just clarify on. Now, I know, the, I know Peter Ruckman eats us for breakfast when we you know Peter Ruckman, uh, Ruckmanites, the King James only. They, you must have King James. It's, okay. They eat us for breakfast because they claim that we are taking with the Lord Jesus out of the scriptures. And I don't believe that's true. The reason I don't believe that's true is because if you look in um, <clears throat> verse 3, he says in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that is undisputed. That's in all of the Greek documents who blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So I, I, I don't want to make much of this, okay? So let, let's just, the other, the other variance I'd like to look at is in verse 15. He says, from whom every family, if you have a modern translation, an NIV, uh, an ESV, uh, NASB, I've got the NASB up here I'm reading from. It's going to read from every family. It's going to say, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I'm going to follow my professor who taught me. I'm going to follow the King James, and that is from whom the whole family 
and heaven and earth derives its name. He's thanking the Father because you're part of a family now. You are divorced from, in some ways, your other family, that is your natural family, and you've been made a part of that family which is in heaven and in earth. I suspect that the great majority, most of the saints are in heaven right now. There are probably more in heaven, but we don't know the numbers. So I'm going to follow that. I'm going to follow the, that translation, okay? I'm going to say the whole. For he says, for this reason I bow my knees, I'm reading from the NASB, before the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. And then that he would, that here's what he's doing. He says that he would do this for you. That he would grant you according to or in accordance with or in harmony with his glory. What kind of glory? He's got the word, I think it says riches. It, does it say riches in your, it's actually in the Greek, it's not in the plural. It's in the singular. It is according to the wealth of his glory. His glorious wealth. He's that he would that, that what he's about to do for you this is what paul is saying is what i'm asking him to do for you in ephesus is not to be taken from or detract from that glory the word there in the greek is it's, it's plutos and it means uh, an abundance it's one it doesn't necessarily mean cash ola it doesn't necessarily mean jewelry it doesn't necessarily mean gold things and silver things it means when he has plenty of, something plenty of it, huge quantities of it, that would be the word used there, the wealth of his glory, that he would, according to that, and then this is what he would give you. L look again. So <clears throat> look in verse 16. To be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. We, we can see from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, that that's a reflection on the resurrection living the power to live a resurrected life not the power to live a ordinary life like we're typically fond of but a different kind of life so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith got to stop there because it sounds like paul is hoping that these ephesians might get saved yeah looks like it doesn't it he says there, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. But I got to tell you that the word dwell is a handy English word that we use a lot. But there are many Greek words used that we supply the English, we supply the English term dwell. In this case, the word there is better, is better to be translated perhaps to be settled down. Uh, how can I, how can I, um, has, have you all, have all of you lived all your lives here in the Michigan area? Has any of you transplanted? Has any of you come from out of state? All right. Okay. You know, when you come from out of state, you get here, first thing you got to do is figure out how to, where to go. You need to learn the roads. You need to learn uh, which roads are terrible roads at four o'clock and which roads are fine. You need to know where the doctor's office are. You've got to make up a new list of physicians. You've got to find out where the grocery stores are and which ones are going to be the best. You've got to learn where, the, where you're going to get your pharmaceuticals from. 
You have to learn where the school system is. You have to learn how to get from place to place. You, you need to learn how to make a left-hand turn here. You, you have to learn how to you, you turn right if you want to turn left. There's all sorts of things you have to learn here. It's different, it's new. The other thing you have to learn is, okay, I'm from Ohio, or I spent quite a bit of time in Ohio, and I had to learn that it is considered very rude here in Michigan to hold people up. You gotta zoom right along. If you don't, that's like, like you, 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 you're trying to get into the line of traffic, well buddy, you gotta make your own break. You, you can't just wait for somebody to stop and then kind of shoo you in. That isn't gonna happen in Michigan. So, you, you, so when, you, when you move to a new area, you've got a whole laundry list of things that you have to learn how to do. That's kind of a picture. I'm using that as an illustration to show you that. What does it mean for Christ to settle or to settle down or dwell in your hearts? <clears throat> Paul is asking people to have this, that Christ, when he settles in your heart, he becomes a Lord of your heart. He becomes Lord of every little nook and cranny of your life. Yes? That he becomes, and that as he becomes Lord, guess what you become? Servant. You understand servanthood. You understand what it is to sacrifice. Right? Remember what he said in Philippians 1.29? For it has been given unto you not only in the name of Christ to believe on his name, but also to suffer for his sake. Guess what you get to learn to do? So what he's saying is, is like Paul's asking these guys for transformational action on God's part through the Spirit. A, it's going to change the music that you listen to. It's ultimately going to change the, the TV shows that you listen to. It's going to change the radio stations that you listen to. You're going to find, <clears throat> it doesn't mean that you're going to hate stuff. It just means that you'd rather really not do that. You'd rather do this. It's going to change where you would rather really be on Sunday morning right now. There's a lot of people out there taking it easy, getting ice cream cones, riding around on their bikes, enjoying their Sunday. Why are you in here? Because Christ has dwelt in you, and this is where you've decided to come, because you want to sit under the word. You want to sit, like, if I do this, don't laugh, but you want to sit so that this thing is authoritative, that you bend and change your life according to what's written in this book. That's what Paul's praying for here, that, that, that so that Christ may settle down, anchor down, overwhelm, and you're gladly glad, you, you're not, he's not taken over by force and by shooting you and by jihad, no. He's taking over by the grace that you, that's what his prayer is, that you willingly, gladly submit to him and turn his dominion into your opportunity for service. And he says, and that you may be able, oops, I jumped over something, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, those are two participles right next to each other. They are passive participles. That is to say that that is something, and they're perfect in the perfect tense. That means it is something that has already happened, and you didn't get in, you, you are simply the recipients of that which has happened, right? You were rooted and grounded in love before you even realized it, yes? Before you ever came, you were rooted and grounded in love. That love was between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All three persons are talked about in this piece of, of the scripture here, yes? You see that? that? That is something that has already taken place for you. That's good news for you. 
that's not good news for others out there, perhaps, yeah? And that you may be able to comprehend, I mean, you may be able to wrap your hands around, you may be able to understand what is, along with all of the saints, he says, what is the this and the this and the this and the this of the love of God is, the love of Christ is. He says, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. That sounds strange to me. What does it mean to know the love of Christ? Here's the good news. You do not have to come up with $25,000 and go to school and get an MDiv to know this. You do not have to go on and get a THM or a PhD or anything. No, there is no school. And in fact, listen, if you're a parent, you cannot teach your kids this. This one is, you teach your kids a lot of things. You know, how to, yes ma'am, no ma'am, how to hold a fork, how to sit at the table, excuse me, yeah, but you cannot teach, nor can you be taught this love that comes from above. This love is only available from God, and he gives it to you. And you get to share it, should you choose. That you may be able to know that which surpasses knowledge. That's what he means. When it surpasses knowledge, it isn't like there's a course. There's not going to be a video that you're going to be able to watch a series on that. On, and then when you complete the series, oh yeah, you'll have that kind of 1 Corinthians, chap, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. You, no, you aren't going to have, that isn't going to happen. And the good news is, is you can be just, you can be 10 years old and have that kind of love. You, you can be saved, and right then and there, you have access to that kind of love, right? And when we look in verse 19, it says, to know the love of Christ. Now, <coughs> grammarians have to struggle with that term when he uses the love of God or the love of Christ or the wrath of God, right? When he talks about the peace of God, yes, those are... You have to look at this and ask yourself, the love of Christ, which way does that love work? The grammarians call that, the, they call it the uh, subjective genitive or the um, objective genitive. And to tell you the truth, I can never remember which way it goes, but here's, I can give you this mnemonic. One is the love that comes down, yes? One is the love that goes up, yes? If I say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to pick on Retta. Retta is known for her love of chocolate. Now, you know that chocolate isn't capable of love, yes? So the love of chocolate has got to go from Retta towards that chocolate, yes? But when it's the love of God, then you got that's what you have to wrestle with it. And so there are times you have to look at the context to determine it, which way it's going to go. So we look at the context and we think, I don't know. It's not clear to me which way it goes. Therefore, it would be wise on our part to consider both. Paul wants you to know the love of God, that is the love that comes down for you. That love that, that doesn't, is, it is unconditional. Are you having a bad day that day? Doesn't make any difference. He loves you. Um, did your wife or your husband get kind of cranky 
Doesn't make any difference. Yeah? Did you have a bad day? Did you, did you uh, lose your temper that day? Still the same. <clears throat> I was thinking of this. I, I'm running out of time. I've got to be done by, what, 12, right? Top of the 12 when it gets up there. Um, all right, so let's keep moving on. Uh, here, how about the other way? How about the love that goes this way, yeah? Can you think of some good examples of love that go that way? And I can think of, like, the Apostle Paul. Was the Apostle Paul pretty evident? Here's a guy that goes into town. He, 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 he lands on the coast of southern Turkey, goes north to Antioch of Pisidia, leaves there in kind of a huff. People are not happy with him. So he moves down to Iconia. Same thing happens. He moves to Lystra. Now he's gotten east. There in Lystra, the folks from Antioch and Iconia have now show up. So he's in Lystra. Hey, they're happy with him. They think the gods have come down and have dwelt among men because, remember, Paul heals this guy. He, he heals this guy that's been, and everybody knows it. So now <clears throat> they're celebrating. They, they bring in animals. They're going to have a big sacrifice. They're starting to call them uh, a zoo, uh, um, Mercury or something. They were naming them after the, the gods of, of Greece. And then the folks from Antioch and Iconium arrive. And it all goes sour real quick, right? And they stone him, and they, now they don't want that thing uh, uh, in the streets, that carcass in the streets, so they drag it out of the town, leave it there, and of course, what happens? Paul arises, goes to Derby, yeah? And then what's he do after Derby? Remember? Remember what he does? Sure you do. You've read your Bible a hundred times. He goes back to Lystra, of all the things. Does that sound like a guy that's in love? He's in love with something or someone. Then he goes back to Iconia and then to Antioch. Yes? How many times did he get shipwrecked in the deep? How many times did he spend sleeping on the sides of the road or whatever? On, on, on all sorts of, how many times would he have prayed for, for his life? That sounds like a guy that loves the Lord to me. Memorizing scripture would be one of the evidences of loving the Lord. Joining the body for worship would be one of the signs of loving the Lord. Yes? So, he wants you to know that, that love. He wants you to know what it's like to have that kind of fever for him. And he says, and then he, he concludes it here, so that, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. And there's where we got to park for a few minutes because that is going to be where you walked in this morning you walked in here with a sense of fullness that is every one of you has its own your own personal definition of fullness you see fullness is it's that it's that moment when everything is all right with the world right there is no pain, your, your arthritis isn't bothering you this morning, or your osteoporosis isn't, uh, you know, your disc isn't, you're, you're probably not in pain, you're probably not facing some deadline tomorrow, the weather is nice, you're on a park bench, the breeze isn't too windy, it's just comfortable, and you would not ask God to dial the thermostat in any way in heaven. That would be a full moment. Ah, this is life. This is living. Isn't this great? So, 
you're probably talking with a good friend, a dear friend, someone whom you like a lot. And it's that moment, that's the fullness that he's talking about. And that fullness, my friends, is what gets us in trouble because I need the rest of my sermon notes. In your definition of fullness, you now have included the Lord God himself. If I were to say, listen, I'm going to bring your, this is your portfolio. Yes, this is, this is something that you have, and in it are all the things that you're asking God for, and one of the things are is eternal life. And I'm going to let this Bible represent the Lord. Okay, it's not really the Lord, but I'm just, it represents him. And God is one of the persons, that, one of the objects in your definition of fullness that you would not want to be without. In fact, it's like, oh God, please don't take this away. Don't take yourself away from me. Yes? Now, typically, that's not enough. I know that because I go on Facebook and I see all the other needs. And you go on Facebook and you're just like everybody else. I know that you live up here in the North Country, and I know that you put your sweaters on way before we do down there, but you're still the same inside. You still worry about stuff. You still have things that you're adding, and one of them is, this is a picture of my family, this, one of them is your families. You would ask God, oh please God, do not touch my family. You pray for your family, yes? If something went wrong with one of your grandchildren or one of your sons or daughters, you would no longer have that sense of fullness. You would no longer be sitting on that park bench going, isn't life wonderful? Yes? You would lose some of the fullness, yes? Perhaps it's not your family. It could be a hobby, something you like to do. I like to putz around with wood, yes? It's a hobby. It's just something I fun to do. And, and what if, what if I can't do that anymore, yes? Would I still have that sense of fullness? Or perhaps, perhaps it's a, uh, a medical condition, yes? Some of you that have, are struggling with an A1C, you'd recognize this little unit. Yes? What if it's, what if, it, what if you, what if it turns out that you don't get to have wonderful health, yes? Or your eyes, or macro, how would you like macrodegeneracy? degeneracy? How would you like to have, like some of my friends, where the retina separates from the eyeball. Yeah? No, you can't use that eye anymore now. That would disrupt your sense of fullness, would it not? How about your music? The things that you entertain yourself with. If that were suddenly turned off or you couldn't have it anymore, would that kind of like change things a little bit for you? Pills. You take pill I take pills. Probably many of you take pills. You probably don't take any pills unless they're candy coated. But I'm just saying, like, there's pills, yeah? Would it disrupt your life? Doesn't this stuff mess you up? Have you not taken a pill and had a side effect or something on it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they do. That takes away from the fullness of your life. It could be something like HO cars or, or, or something that you build, those hobbies that you have that you like to have and, and uh, uh, yeah? It could be a car, I don't know, maybe it's a car you got in your garage. 
And all the kids, oh man, the kids all have learned a long time ago, don't scratch daddy's car. He's got it covered up in towels, and he takes that thing out, and he loves that thing. Don't mess with it, yes? It could be that. That could be something that you have. It could be your trophies. It could be something that you're very good at, better than anybody else. Yes? It could be that. And as long as, as, long as you're on top, as long as you're on one, as long as your team is doing that, yeah, okay, then all is right with the world, but then suddenly it doesn't, yeah? And they stink. I worked in the foundry for 35 years. We made castings. Maybe, maybe your career is that thing that disrupts your sense of well-being. Maybe you don't do as well as you thought you should be doing. Maybe you get overlooked for a promotion. Maybe you get passed by for a younger man or somebody else, yes? And that disrupts your sense of fullness. How about your wedding? How about your marriages? Does God promise you wonderful marriages? Does he promise you that you're, hey, I know friends, I got friends at Evangel who have been praying for their spouse for, since I can remember, 23, four years now, that they would get saved, yes? There's no guarantee on your marriage, is there? Your marriage could turn out to be lackluster, mediocre, or it could be just wonderful. But does this go into what makes you full? Does that mess, does that, does it? I don't, I don't know. See, you came in here with one of these, and you have stuff in it. And the stuff that's in here is helping define your sense of fullness. And what, what was in here that you could actually get to keep? Yeah, when you're in heaven one day, you'll be standing there, and if your wife is saved, She'll walk by while you're talking to a buddy, and then you'll give her the nod, and your buddy will say, who is that? Who is she? You're going to say, that's my ex. You're all going to have exes in heaven if you're married. Maybe you'll have more than one. I don't know. None of this stuff you get to keep. You know what the kids are going to do? I, I, I've been there. I, I can tell you what to do. Here's how it's going to go. Hey, hey, Jim, you want this stuff? No, I don't want it. Hey, Debbie, you want it? No, I don't want it. Just get rid of it. And that's where, there goes your collection of magazines. There goes your favorite uh, HO that's going to go on eBay. There goes your, that chrome thing that you got in the garage, you know, the, that you take out and you polish and you don't want to take it out in the rain. That thing that you keep <clears throat> and protect so well because it adds to your sense of fullness. It's going to go. It's going to get sold or sent. My books. My books are all going to go, probably in the trash. All those CDs, you know. Oh, wait a minute. I'm looking at people with CDs. All your vinyl, you know, your 45s and. Oh, wait a minute. I see somebody back there with a 78s. Where, where do you think that's going to wind up? Exactly. None of that stuff that's in here is you get to keep. And so what's God doing? He's saying, listen, he knows that. He knows it. The fame and stuff that you have. Do you remember, remember Ruth? Remember Ruth, how <clears throat> the book of Ruth? And the, and the folks are in Bethlehem, and they're going, 
is that, is, <laughs> is that Naomi? And she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Naomi is a, 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 the Hebrew word for pleasant. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Because I went out, remember what she said? I went out full and the Lord has brought me back empty. And you think, she went out full. What on earth did she go out full of? She went out because her husband was unemployed. She, they were looking for food. They were hungry. They, they, all she had was two kids and a husband. But in her mind, she went out full because she had hopes and dreams, expectations of the future. She was confident that things would work out. She was full of confidence. That could be what's bolstering up your sense of fullness. Knowing that this stuff is going to go, knowing that your refrigerators are going to crash and burn, knowing that your appliances are going to die one by one, knowing that the wash machine is going to like, you know, you're going to get this phone call. Oh, it's the wash machine. And, and where are you? You're at work. How are you going to fix it? You can't fix it. What are you going to do? You're going to come home and, yeah, knowing that all that stuff's going to happen to you, they're going to steal your joy. That's going to take away, how shall I call it, your zest for living if you're sitting on a park bench and the weather is nice and the phone rings and it says hey this just broke that's going to ruin your day and god is trying to bolster you by making you full of himself full filled with the fullness of himself it won't make any difference when something breaks or falls you you can't get any fuller than with God. You're designed to be full of him. That's what he wants you to be. For your own good and your own enjoyment and your pleasure and his delight, it glorifies him, right? Remember he said, according to the wealth of your glory, that's the prayer request that Paul is praying. So what's the takeaway? What's the takeaway on this? leave here and go home and, and then kind of rejuggle all this stuff around, reprioritize all this stuff in here, uh, 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 live off the grid. I'll tell you what we're going to do, honey. We're selling the house. We're moving to Colorado into the upper level elevations, and we're just going to live off the farm. Or we're going to live off the woods and the land. That's it. We're, gonna, we're done with this stuff. It ain't nothing but sorrow and grief and family, right? Family over there. Is that what Paul is saying? Is that the takeaway? No. No. You may want the fullness of God. You may want that, but the, the key is pretty obvious there, right? Because is Paul, would you say Paul is the kind of person that was, there's that old expression from the South, backward about going forward? No, Paul's not backward about going forward. If Paul had one, Paul would say flee immorality. He would say stand. He would say put off. He would say put this on. When it was time to use the, the verb there as the imperative mood, when it was time to put it in the imperative mood, he would do that. The fact that this, this prayer is in chapter 3 is significant. It's not in chapter 5 where he's telling people to obey the Lord, submit to your husbands, love your No, he's not doing that there. It should not escape us that this is a prayer request. 
You can't get, you can't get to the fullness of God in legislative ways. It's only going to happen because it's a prayer. Paul issues a prayer. He's asking somebody else on behalf of the Ephesians. Yes? He's praying for the Ephesians because you can't get to the fullness of God on your own. You need someone to pray for you. So here's my appeal to you. Knowing what you've just read, why would we not write our own prayer or copy that prayer and pray it for us here? If Paul prays it for the Ephesians, why would we not pray it for Ambassador or why would we not pray it for Evangel? Your name is on a card. It's a four by six card. It happens to be white lined and I pray for you. I pray for you that you will succeed. I pray these kind of prayers for you. God wrote this prayer. Yes, I mean, we say Paul wrote it. Yes, yes, Paul did write it. But who actually authored it on the other side of Paul? Who was that? Was it not God the Father? Do you want to, would you take this prayer seriously or would you rather go on Amazon.com, hello, and try looking up some of that stuff? Why, why not take this prayer? He wrote the prayer. Pray this prayer to me, he says. I hope that somebody in here would, don't listen to me. Listen to the word. Take the word seriously. Pray this prayer for this church. Pray it for she is his, the love of his life. She, she, she is the reason he sent his son to the earth. She is the gift then given to his son. Yes? I, I'm out of time. It's five after. Is that it? Are we done? I was going to give you just one more little tip, something that I, I caught. Um, I don't want to overstay my welcome because you don't call me back very often. Very, in fact, very often at all. Uh, I, I'm beginning to take it personally. But Jesus said, um, he is always, he says, he says, for the words you have given me, I have given to them. Um, in, in, John, in John chapter 17, he's praying, and he says, Thine they were, referring to the disciples, and thou hast given them me. Yes? I know that you have been a gift-giving people. You know what it is to give a gift, and you know what it is to receive a gift. And you know what it is when you give a gift, and it hits the spot. You can see it in the face of the person that just received it. You, you cannot, they cannot, you, they won't fool you. You'll know it. You'll just know you got it. You nailed it. Yes? And you know when you yeah, you know when you've muffed it. And it's the same way with you. You get a gift and you when it's hit the spot, oh yes, yes, indeed. You react completely differently. Yes? Now, why is it that we have these various reactions? Is it not because we are depraved people? Yes, I think it's because we're depraved. Is Christ depraved? Not at all. So, when you were given to the Lord, yes, how do you suppose he received you? Well, that is, when the Lord 
says, listen, you know what? Here's, here's Bob Lamb. I'm giving him to you to care for him. You think the Lord went, oh, Bob Lamb. <laughs> I don't think so. He went, hot diggity dog, Dad. I mean, he was excited. He was enthusiastic because he was not depraved. Every one of you, this church is a gift to the Lord, yes? He does not look at you and think, oh, brother. <laughs> oh, thanks, Dad. No, not at all. There's a great deal of enthusiasm and love for you. You are a gift to him. And I thank you for inviting me. Let's pray. Let's, let's pray our way out of here. I know your kids are hungry, and you've got places to go and, and, and uh, food to eat. I thank you, Father in heaven, for this church. I thank you for Ambassador. I do ask that they would be swallowed up in a desire for a greater and intense, more intense look into you, the, a tighter walk with you, that they would, by your spirit, by the power of your spirit, these people would let the encroaching work of Christ take over every nook and cranny of their, everything they study, everything they, every book they read, every CD they listen to, every TV show, every movie they go to. They would have you as Lord and they would be, we would be servants, God. I ask that you would do that, that we might know the full extent of what it is to love you, that we would be ever more increasing in that love. For we are confident of your love for us, but Lord, we need help in the other direction. And I ask that we would then have our hearts filled with the fullness of you so that we would not be we, whether, we're, whether we're poor or whether we're full or whether we're rich and whether we're poor, we will know what it is to be content. We would have learned what the secret to contentment is. I ask that for this church. I ask it for evangel. I ask it in the name of the one for whom we live and breathe, who has made us, who has even kept us in the shade, whose name is Jesus, this one who sits on high, who is... Uh, on the right hand of, of your majesty, God, and this one whom we look forward to his return, this Alpha and the Omega, this beginning and the end, this, uh, this shepherd and the bishop of our soul, this one who walks among the seven lampstands holding the seven stars in his hand, in his right hand, actually, and for whom we give glory and only are so excited about his return and the day we can present our gifts to him, whose name is Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you very much. You've been a a wonderful audience and a credit to your race.